everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have a rock and roll show today. We're going to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, leading off, uh, you know, we always have a drink segment, and we've got one of the city's lead mixologists with us. Marlo, his real name is Dan Marlo, but we're calling him Marlo, is the beverage director at Common Plate Hospitality, and he oversees uh, uh, the mixology at the Grove and Chevy Chase's cool new watering hole, the Turncoat, which is in the Heights Food Hall, Mm -hmm. and he's going to be mixing it up today. Uh, our old friend Jill Erber, late of Cheese Teak, now of course old friend for Jill, our vibrant. Amazing, glowy friend. Uh, sexy, seductive friend. Yes. Jill Herber is in here Jill. with another good friend, also old, <laughs> Kahal Armstrong. Okay, uh, again, I would not call him old either. No, and he could hurt. Meant, and he you could know hurt him. you. He is. He is. A, he wouldn't hurt me because he loves me. <laughs> he could still hurt you. He's. A, he's. He's. A, I mean, he's one of the top chefs in the marketplace. He's one of the top chefs in the country. They've joined forces at Corso. You didn't Italian say Kahal Western. Armstrong. I did say Kahal Armstrong, didn't I? I don't think so. I don't know, but it's Kyle Armstrong. <laughs> and we've been there, and it was a ton of fun. You'll hear more about it in a minute. Um, you know, this is February's Black History Month, and a lot of folks focus on history, but they forget that food and culture and the and 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 what we as a kind of a melting pot as a nation have uh, enjoyed because of all of the influences of African-American cuisine – um, and, uh, culture. Being ce- and culture are being celebrated. Uh, joining us today are Chef uh, Ramin Coles. From- we also know from a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, do I get to say? No. Uh, but anyways, from the African-American Museum of History and Culture, and uh-huh. he's joined by his buddy, Chef Kyrie Roshan from the National Museum of American History. Uh, they've got all kinds of uh, uh, food events scheduled for this month. We're going to hear all about it. But it's not just this month. It's really going to go for many more Mm-hmm. So um, we have to have them back so they bring food in and mm-hmm. we eat. Mm-hmm. All right. Last but not least, over in Falls Church, Twitney Lee has her fabulous restaurant, New Elegantly Vietnamese, and also a restaurant called Chase and Tails. They're both in the same Falls Church shopping center. You'll love it there. But New's new menu is a tribute to the Year of the Dragon, and she's in today to tell us all about it. And she's also brought toys and games, which, of course, for someone with a childlike mind like mine is a lot of fun. Okay. But- we're going to start with Marlo. Marlo, tell us about the heights. Tell us about Turncoat and the concept. I there. just have to say, when I hear the heights, I hear the music for the show, the heights in yeah. my head. Like it, it starts, starts like. Up. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, Lin Manuel is like in my head. Yeah, we'll get that in our media today. Okay, great. Um, uh, yeah, so tell us about the new food hall. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we know that this area was a little bit of a food desert. You know, there were options, but there weren't as many as some of the folks in the area may have wanted. And we've been working really hard to get. Uh, diverse selection into the community. So this food hall offers eight individual food stalls. It additionally offers an Urbano Tex-Mex style restaurant. It has two bars out front and a full speakeasy with a tasting menu in the, in and the rear. where exactly is it? Tell people that. Oh, right across have... the street from our studio. Yeah. <laughs> 5406 Wisconsin Avenue. Okay. It's right above the Whole Foods. Right. So let's talk about what you're doing there. Like a speakeasy in this part of Chevy Chase Seems like a bold move. A little bit, yeah. Yes. A little bit. But it's a, it's a concept program that we're hoping to bring something different to the area. And when I say different, I mean we don't have the late night and we don't have the D.C. vibe. So, Nor should you. Right. And, I mean, sometimes we like to commute in and go have a night out. But if it's a little bit closer to home and we can offer similar fare, similar ambiance, similar experience or better experience – uh, we'd like to have the opportunity Listen, to do man, so. As, as a, not just a native, but I grew up, uh, you know, a couple of blocks from here, and this place is a wasteland. There was never anywhere to go, particularly after ten o'clock. You oh. know, and uh, for those of us who don't go nighty night, uh, you know, this is great to go to a bar like that. The, I'm, the theme of the bar is really cool. Tell a little bit about that, and then we'll get on. Yeah, absolutely. So we tied a few pieces together, right? We have a, a prohibition mindset, vibe, atmosphere, but and while there was a predominant focus on bootlegging in the Route 1, Laurel, Corridor area, Baltimore. 
there wasn't so much attention being paid to this side of the city in the suburban sprawls that were coming up in the early 1900s. And so those urban legends talk about railway conductors selling illicit booze on the tracks. Um, subtle, oh. subtle. It just depended on who you are because every senator, congressman, and every president of had a full bar all through Prohibition. <laughs> of course. All right. What are you pouring for us Hypocrisy first? is not new in Washington. We're pouring our time killer, which is going to be a tropical take on uh, something you may have heard of with rum. Okay. Go oh, to more. it. All right. Well, all right. go to it. Jill Urber. We'll find out more when you come back. And Cajal Armstrong. <laughs> Let's talk about Corso. So, well, we have to talk about how they came together. How did you come together? How and did you I want to mention that Jill's husband is here. Yes. Yes. Jeff. Or Jeff, are you going to join in or no? No, yeah. you're not. Jeff's all right. Like, I'm okay. not on air. So, how did you come together? So, Chef and I have known each other for over 20 years. So, um, mm. one of um, mm. Chef Cahal's most uh, ambitious and recognized projects was a restaurant called Restaurant Eve in Old Town, Alexandria, for which he one is famous, to say the life. least. Okay. Yeah. Right. And also, he was behind one of the very first speakeasies that happened was. in he the was. D.C. metro he area, I just want to say. Awesome. That is <laughs> right. true. Um, and so Chef Cahal and I have known each other since before he opened Restaurant Eve and before I opened Cheese Teak over 20 years ago. Wow. Um, and we met each other in this industry, but he was at a different restaurant. I was working for a food importer, and we have just stayed friendly ever since then. So when he opened Restaurant Eve, he would get his cheeses from Cheese Teak for the menu. Mm. Um, and we just stayed in touch and friendly over all these years. And so when my husband, Jeff, and I uh, had the idea to convert one of our Cheese Teak locations into an Italian concept, mm -hmm. we thought, let's reach out to Cahal and get his advice on how do we build this kind of team? How do we have this kind of caliber in our kitchen and in our front of house? And um, about halfway through that conversation, we realized there was a there was a partnership there. Um, and we decided to join forces on this. And I think it just has turned out beautifully. Well, so let's explain what this is. What yes. was your vision? And then I want to bring in Cajal and find out how he took your vision and also... Oh, he brought it to life. To it. He right, brought it exactly. to life. Absolutely. So, so the vision was to sort of parlay our history at Cheese Teak of being a place of hospitality and warmth and welcome. Great food, simply prepared, um, beautiful marketplace with all of the ingredients available for taking home. Um, so we wanted to parlay that reputation and mm -hmm. that feeling from the community into uh, something new and fresh. And nothing says warmth and hospitality and welcome and family like Italian food. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and plus the Italian cheeses and meats, please. Right. So we thought this was a beautiful transition. <laughs> it, was, it was new enough and fresh enough, but also felt like home. Right. Okay. And then, well, Chef, yeah, well, let's uh, talk about... Can we just precede this by saying that Cajal is not your ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill chef. No. He's a James Beard nominee. I mean, just be he's careful. We have other chefs in studio. But I know, ahead. but I'm just saying he's been honored by <laughs> Food & Wine. Um, he's in Food & Wine magazine's 50 Hall of Fame um, Best New Chefs. Mm -hmm. He's uh, Best Chef Award winner from the Rammies. Yes, I mean, also he's, true. He's a special He's dude. an OG. So... But Italian, I mean, that was not really in your, in your, you know, was okay, in I, your site. So. No, I'm going to change that before he says that question. He's a chef. So just because he focused on others' cuisines I'm doesn't mean Italian is not in his Asking why you guys settled on Italian. But what did you feel when you and Jill started talking? Like, what were you like, I want to do this? Well, um, I'm going to blow their minds by telling you a story, right? Okay, let's do it. Cahal. Saint Cahal. Uh-huh. From Taranto, he was an Irish uh, saint. He's the patron saint of Taranto in Apulia, mm -hmm. and so um, there's kind of a natural Irish connection there, right? Oh, okay, I'll <laughs> take it to the south of Italy. So why not? Uh, you know, they excited. This is what led you to open an Italian <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> sure. I gotta smoke some of that. Stuff, My patron right? saint. <laughs> Holy cow! I love it. I mean, as a chef, the the exciting thing about Italian cuisine is is it's twenty different regions, it's twenty different cuisines. It's a wide palate that offers every ingredient you can imagine. But lots of people think, why would you not want to play? Lots with of that? people think, let's open an Italian restaurant. We've we've known some of those people, and I have to tell you, the I'm sure they the, do too. The sine qua non of Italian food is pasta that is served al dente. Sure. And that was what I, what I was looking for when we were there. The dish you served us. Okay, was you're not asking any questions. I'm just saying. So. So, no, but I mean, you know. About, I'm going to jump in. No. So, don't. I want to talk about how you guys worked together on the menu, how you took your concept from Cheese Teak, mm -hmm. you had all those wines, all those cheeses, and how you worked together to sort of twist it and let Cajal sort of use what people love about Cheese Teak, but then advance it with Corso. It, well, if, if I had a hashtag, it's make your own. 
Okay. Or make it yourself. I love you know? that. So um, we make everything. You know, we have a dish that I just put on the menu with uh, Italian sausage. So obviously we make the Italian sausage. It's a, it's a, I call it hybrid, but it's a corso. It's a between a sweet and spicy sausage. Mm. Um, for the Campanelli alla Romano, which is, you know, a great Actually, delicious that, dish. That was pretty well said. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then uh, I, I make guanciale, we make pancetta, we make brajola, we make ricotta. I brought some today. This is my ricotta that we make in the restaurant. and It's gorgeous. Um, so is it, I mean, do you consider it regionally focused at all or is it a, the best of? No, it's it's just food that I like to cook, mm. you know. Um, I mean, we do, we, we have a great dish, the oxtail ravioli. I mean, you, it, you're not going to find that in most typical Mm-mm. Italian restaurants, but... It's a great pasta dish, and it's, you know, perfect for the winter, so. Um, and how are you going about introducing it to the community? Because that area has a lot of restaurants, but it doesn't have any Italian restaurants. It, what I would say is I think the important thing about what we're doing is we're not obviously the first Italian restaurant in the region. We won't right. be the last Italian restaurant. I think our approach is really fresh and unique and interesting, so we're, we're making it a little bit modern, but, but an homage to tradition as well. So you look at the menu and you say, oh, I recognize that dish. But when you get it, your mind is blown, right? Mm-hmm. The, the quality of it is so exceptional. And there's always a little bit of like a Corso twist on it. Um, and so I think Chef is almost underplaying the intensity with which he attacks every single dish that we prepare there, um, where we say, oh, it would be great if we could do something with Italian sausage. That's me, right? Oh, let's right. do Italian sausage. Two days later, I walk in and here is Chef uh, in basically a hazmat suit in there, you know, stuffing our own sausages. And this is two days later. He's got the casings. He's got the meat. He's doing the, he's curing our own guanciale and all, mm-hmm. all, the, all of those things are are being made literally in-house. Right. Um, and that's just a really, really fun environment in which to work. Yeah, the other thing you've got going there is you've got a, a, a right up front a marketplace. We so, do, so, yes. So, I mean, it's, it's... And are you doing... You had talked about doing, like, pasta making up front? We do. So we have a, what we call our pasta table up in the front window. And um, and we literally cook the pasta... Or not cook the pasta. I'm sorry. Prepare the pasta right in the front window. So every cut that you see in the restaurant on the menu is made in-house, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a, an egg noodle fresh style, a dried style, everything is made and cut in-house. All right. well, wait, I have to ask about that. Mm-hmm. So with pasta, some pastas do better when they're dried. So are you making them in-house and drying them too? Yeah. Yeah, so we have four dried pastas on the menu right now mm-hmm. um, and two egg noodles. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, the, the egg noodle – came to Italy from the Chinese, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's influences from Greece and North Africa and Arabia and, you know, so for, as, a, as a chef, as a creator of food, that just, that palate is You know, when you intense. said that, I was so tempted to say, Marco, polo. <laughs> right. I didn't. So. Don't laugh at that, please. I so love four me. dried pastas, campanelle, rigatoni, you know, whatever, and then, and then the two fresh noodles. Wow. And are you still playing with the menu? I mean, we know the menu we saw when we got there. Are you still fiddling? Yeah, we put three more pasta dishes say. on in the last couple of weeks and another mm-hmm. appetizer. And I think I'm just going to pause at that for for the moment until spring starts to okay. show its roots. Well, let's, so let's talk about how you're putting your twist on some of the dishes. Because, like, your bolognese was delicious, but it's not – it's your bolognese. It is not, like – it's not a Nona's bolognese. Well, you know, the thing about those dishes is, like, a lot of cuisines around the world – there are hundreds of recipes for them. Yeah, every and nonna did it a different way. Every nonna did it right. a different way. Mm-hmm. My, my father taught me how to make it, and he learned it from a nonna in, he was a in Bologna. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, I make it the way my dad showed me how to make it. Mm-hmm. And and for for me, for this particular mm-hmm. uh, uh, grandmother in Bologna, um, the, the dish is about the tomato. It's not about the meat. Mm. You know, and it's it, it, it you try to understand that it was originally a, a, a poor person's dish. Yep. You know, so... It's about the onions and the garlic and the tomato and a small amount of beef that just right, carries Right, because most bolognese that you see today, like when I think of Marcella Hazan's, like in her recipe, yeah. which is what I use for my bolognese, I mean, it's mostly about the meat. Right. You know, meat, milk, mm-hmm. broth, and then tomatoes. Yeah. But it's really about boiling those tomatoes down to like infuse with the meat. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's not as saucy. Yeah. Um, but I, you're 100% right. Like most classic Italian dishes... They were for people who didn't have the money right. to put me in it. And, you know, so we it. focus on the San Marzano tomato it being, the, being mm. the, the, the great ingredient in that dish. And we grind our beef. We cut it, you know, and grind it in the house and all that kind of thing, which 
I think is important that it's fresh and, and we're controlling the quality Steph, of the I'm meat. I'm so sorry. I'm going to put a pin in you. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll talk more. This is David and Nikki Nellis. Sorry, it's she food. interrupts me all the time. Sorry. <laughs> he just interrupted me. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. So last time Nick and I were in Georgetown, we just wanted to get some food and chill out a little. And we went to Tony and Joe's Seafood Place on the Georgetown waterfront. Uh, and I, we had a great meal. I, we had oysters. I don't remember what else we had. Well, the most fantastic thing about Tony and Joe's is, honestly, its location. It is right there on the water. You're looking at the Kennedy Center, and you're looking at the water, and there's all those boats going by, so you have great people watching. And that's whether you're dining outdoors on their amazing patio or dining indoors with their floor-to-ceiling windows. Um, of course, they have amazing seafood, like the oysters, usually local, um, but great lobster, great fish. And, uh, they have great steaks there, too. Yes, and they have steaks, too. It's just a great place to go for great drinks and great food with a view. I love their line. They say, come for the food, stay for the view, and that's what you should do. Tony and Joe's. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast, talking to Jill Erber and Chef Kahal Armstrong about their new Italian restaurant out in Shirlington Shopping Center, Corso. And I'm going to pay you the ultimate Marylanders compliment because while the Potomac River is not exactly like the Iron Curtain, you don't find a lot of Marylanders who come across for dinner, right? Well, you don't find this, David crossing the river. Right. I mean, well, <laughs> but my point is this is a restaurant definitely worth crossing the river for Thank out you. of D.C., Maryland, anywhere. It, so can we talk about um, like the ch- now the cheeses mm-hmm. and the wine? Like you brought in some wine this morning, which is actually really delicious. Um, oh, you've tried yours. Of course, I have. Yeah. You put it in front of me. <laughs> what was I going to do? Let it sit there? Um, can we talk about how you're working with Chef about wine pairings and then keeping the cheese as a part of what your offerings are there? Right. So, so speaking of the the, the greatest compliment, one of the first uh, dishes that Chef put on the menu incorporated my favorite cheese in the world, and he made it a point to do that, which I thought was just very touching and wonderful. And it's a cheese called Piave Vecchio, and I've brought some hunks of that for us to to nosh on here this morning. But oh, I better, I better take it's like a good in there, David. Yeah. It's a total kryptonite it cheese. It, totally it's, with you. It's the greatest cheese in the world, mm-hmm. hands down, for over 20 years. It's been my favorite. So, so I think, mia. you know, finding it's a good. marriage of, of those simple ingredients that, that we sell as ingredients, but also bringing them in thoughtful and intentional ways into the mm-hmm. food. The wine, we did very free form. So that was a very intentional approach. It was important to both of us that we don't try and guide people too much in the pairing. We let it be... Um, a very relaxed environment for them. If you want to have a rosé with your steak, by all means. So the the wine list in the restaurant is is varied and very approachable, and the mm-hmm. wines are super food-friendly, as are most Italian wines. And then in the market, we have an entirely different set of wines that people can feel comfortable taking home mm-hmm. with them as well. Um, so today we have a really unique uh, Pinot Grigio, and most people think of Pinot Grigio as being a white wine. This is a wine. Pinot Grigio? Yes, ma'am, 100% Pinot Grigio. So this is the... U- the ancient way of making Pinot Grigio. So Pinot Grigio is not a white grape. It's actually okay, so just pink. so people know, it looks, it looks like, like a rosé. Rose. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. yeah. So Pinot Grigio is a, a is pink rose. grape. It does, and yeah. it is a rosé. It is, it, and the word Grigio mm. means gray. So the grape is actually pinkish gray. Mm. Um, and when you allow the juice of the grape to sit on those skins, just as you would with making a rosé, you get this beautiful, deep salmon color accompanied by an influence of tannin, structure, complexity. I know, but you know what's interesting about mm-hmm. it? Like if I saw that bottle on a shelf, mm-hmm. I would think, ugh, it's going to be sweet. Oh, it's but not it's at all. it's so not. It's, it's like totally bone dry. dry. Mm-hmm. It's not too fruit forward. Right. You know, because like I prefer a rosé in a Provencal uh, Right, so style. very austere. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like water, basically. <laughs> but uh, but this is really well-rounded. It's a beautiful, It is. It is. So it, 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 it will, it will, speak, it will mm-hmm. speak to people. Oh, yeah, we've got to try with the ricotta. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, oh, it, it touches all of, those, all of those notes for folks where it gives them something everyone will love. Okay. Okay. I'm and so then, happy to be so there. So, Chef, friendly. as you are now exploring this area and doing yeah. these things, I think what's really interesting is not just the wine offerings and their price level, mm-hmm. but also the food offerings oh. and their price level. So, Kahal, for <laughs> you to create a more casual restaurant, I mean, not that you haven't done it before. Like, I think of um, Amon's, right? Like, you, you've always played around with concepts. When you're doing this one and, fit, you know, meeting people where they are in that area, how do you how do you go about doing that? Well, I mean, it's serious food, but at the same time, I think you have to have a little bit of whimsy to it and mm-hmm. just kind of relax and let it let it be rustic and natural. And I think it just kind of sings for itself. You know, I've always been understated. I don't like to 
boast about things and just let them speak for themselves. Okay. Well, food. I mean, the food does shine through. I agree. But I do think given like all the conversations that are going on there right now about cost mm-hmm. in restaurants and what it costs and how difficult it is to, you know, beat the margins and, and do it. And then also from the client, you know, the customer mm-hmm. side, not to feel like everything is a $250 meal. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? For mm-hmm. two people, mm-hmm. like finding that balance is really tough. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is an advantage financially to making it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we can buy brajola for thirty dollars a pound, or I can make it for five dollars a pound. Mm. You know, so um, and and then there's that added value of somebody making it with love. You know, yeah. I think at the end of the day, what makes food great is love. You got to smile while you cook. No doubt. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Both of you, thank you so much thank for you. coming in. This is amazing Good. and delicious, and I can't wait to dig in. Thank you. All right. Marlo. Marlo. Talk about awesome. what we're doing here. Oh, I was trying to make it bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, Dave he's the comedian wait, here. Wait, wait, stop. I'm the comedian here, yes. okay? Thank you. I took his line. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned we were going to bring you a uh, tropical-style cocktail that is usually built with rum. So mm-hmm. Does anybody know what a painkiller is? I just right. had them last week. They're great. There you go. Yours was prescription, though. (laughs) So we'll probably all get a C and D from Pusser's Rum now on Painkiller. They hold that trademark. Uh, But when you build it with, say, a barrel-aged gin, Mm -hmm. you can call it whatever you want, and people love it. Um, So this is a take on a painkiller. We're building it on Bar Hill Tomcat Gin. Okay. Barrel-aged gin with cream of coconut, fresh orange juice, fresh pineapple juice, a little bit of grated nutmeg, and then a caramelized pineapple wedge on top. Mm. It's a spin on a classic that people are used to with a spirit they are not used to, mm. and it fits the role perfectly for the atmosphere we're creating so in the turncoat. For the cocktails, um, um, you know, really, all of them, are you sort of like a mad chemist? Absolutely. Is that how it works? No, so we like to take, uh, you know, the culture and the history of not only our area and our demographics and our food and uh, beverage – but we find little ties to bring them all together, because um, guys, this is this is a little bit of poison in a glass, right? You know, it's a biologically a mild poison. But when you find culture in the stories about the origins, so you know, the painkiller is a very famous drink, but everybody's all huffy about you can't make it with anything but Pusser's rum. Well, mm-hmm. you absolutely can. Okay, I like that you're bucking the system. I you're see where you're going. Class. Right. That's what you are. <laughs> So with every drink that you're doing, is there a narrative to all of them? Is that part of the speakeasy culture that you're trying to affect at um, the turncoat? Absolutely. And, you know, we don't want to create without reason, but at the same time, we don't want to create with limitations either. So, you know, in the cocktail world, there's no right, there's no wrong. Uh, there's. <laughs> have you talked to some of the people out there that it's so Oh, not I true. absolutely have. I okay. absolutely have. Uh, We'd you know, like to introduce you to our son. So yeah. <laughs> yes. what, what there is is there's history. And so if we understand the history, then we can talk about it. We can explore it further, and then we can build on it. Um, so we're gin heavy and rye heavy because those were the predominant spirits of the era. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I don't have a whole back row of amazing tequilas. You know, we have something for everyone, but we are focusing on what's been forgotten. I think. Okay, so you mentioned history, which brings us to our next segment. Just tell us quickly what you're making next. Absolutely. So we're going to make a uh, bathtub gin beverage for you. Oh, I love it. He All brought right. little bathtubs too. Right. Check my Instagram. We're, You'll see the right, what it gonna... looks like. It's so cute. Speaking of history and culture, our next two guests are going to bring a lot of fun to the show. Um, Chef Ramin Coles is the executive chef of the National Museum of African American History. Mm -hmm. And he brought in his buddy, Chef Kyrie Roshan, from the National Museum of American History. And his book. And his book, which is called Sweet Home Cafe Cookbook. Mm -hmm. This is Black History Month. And um, little known fact, I have a master's degree in American history, and everybody thinks that it history is— It is not little known. You mention it on almost I every know, show. I because I want Kyrie to know it, to love me for it. Okay. But no, but the point is a lot of people just think history is this static kind of thing that's in the books and dates and that kind of stuff. And history is culture and influences. America is this wonderful melting pot, and the influence of, of African-American cuisine and all the, all the different ingredients and all that is— is you know it's core to everything we are and and love and do, and what you've done at the museum, I mean, is take that with uh, this month as your kickoff and turn it into a big foodie event. So why don't you talk about? No, but a I'd rather talk. Can we back up just a little bit well, because? We have to. <laughs> yeah, we have to because Sweet Home Cafe was launched with Carla Hall mm-hmm. and Jerome Grant, and it really garnered 
um, an incredible following for yes. the research and food culture, and it spawned lots of TV shows, and, and, and it's expanded the minds of people to understand the history of the cuisine in this country. So, I mean, you were part of a very important foundation of how, of explaining to people how we eat in this country. Well, I'd like to talk about that. So one of the things we really try to focus on at the museum, we treat our cafe like it's an exhibit. Mm -hmm. So when you come to see us, it's just like going to see an exhibit in the museum. I mean, we've been there. Yeah. We know. So, but the thing about that is we don't want it to be static. So our, our cuisine changes with the seasons. It changes with the availability of ingredients. Also, depending on what we're focusing on. Like currently, it's Black History Month. Next month, it's going to be Women's History Month. That's right. We have other events that we host as well, mm -hmm. as well as we do a series called Culinary Cousins. So last year, we did Ethiopian food and a, a twist on Caribbean food. So when you come to the cafe, it's not... Um, it's well, ever-changing. It's, it's ever-changing. We're always evolving. But the thing, too, is you're not stuck. So yes, we do have fried chicken. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do have these things. But if you come in the summertime, we have a fish fry station. So it's all the things you would get at like a seafood shack. We have a barbecue station. It's all the things you could get at a barbecue. But the flavors change. So in the fall, the flavors change. Mm -hmm. So we do our best to make sure that we are representing all aspects of the culture. The culture is not a monolith. So we're not going to be tied down to one or two different types of food. Mm -hmm. And also we rub up against so many other cultures. We adopt those things as well. Right. So you'll see different things on the menu. You'll be like, is that really African-American? It is, because depending on what neighborhood you lived in, if you're from the north, if you're from the south, sure. you're going to eat different things. That makes so much sense. Let's and, switch over to Chef Kyrie, because you're you're particularly focused on vegan recipes, and, and that's kind of your thing. Well, Talk about that a little <clears throat> and how those influences. Well, I would say uh, not so much vegan, but uh, plant-centric, so like uh, plant-forward. We want to bring plants back into plant-based foods. Mm -hmm. So it's not like so much of not just eating uh, plants, but we want to showcase it in a way that normally you would just say, okay, this is just a side item. We want to um, heighten it, make it the main attraction. Uh, exactly, make it the main attraction. But you can still have your meat, um, just a little portion less of, you know, instead of, a, you know, your 12-ounce uh, steak or something like that, make it maybe a six ounce. Well, I think actually, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying with Kahal earlier, right? Like it became historically in this country, the rise of the bigger hunk of protein had mm -hmm. more to do with how you were doing financially, exactly. right? Absolutely. As a way of showing your success. So now everybody thinks when they, because of where we are in this culture, everybody thinks that there has to be a big hunk of piece of protein as a way to prove they're okay. Whereas truly our bodies, need more plants we need less not that we don't need protein exactly. but we need more plants so how are how are you executing that in a, in a museum setting how are you putting plant forward uh products for the people who are coming to the museum um so what i like to do is is i like to showcase it so um like uh Ramin was saying uh we are huge on uh seasonal food so like um, we'll take the food of the season and really heighten it, showcase it. Mm -hmm. um, like whenever we do pre peaches, like we'll do multiple things with peaches just to really showcase it. We'll either do we make a grilled peach salad, we'll do a peach pie, or oh, we'll you can take the chef out of Atlanta, <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> can you? Right. All right. On that note, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more because I want to hear about Oops, how people can get these experiences oh, and what you're doing now. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Let me get back to Chef Ramin. Let's talk about what you have planned for um, all of these weeks of Black History Month at the museum and in the cafe but also subsequent months because there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, and how on. you guys work together. Like, so, I don't think people think that museum chefs are playing in the sandbox together. Oh, you no, know? we are. And, and unlike... I mean, these guys came in with buckets and shovels. <laughs> <laughs> unlike other experiences at museums, we're not just chicken tenders and french fries. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that. A lot of people don't understand that we are really cooking. Um, when you come to our museums, we are cooking from scratch. Mm. So 98% of the food that you eat, someone had to make. Um about these events that are coming up. First, a lot of people, you know, we're, our museum's on a ticket system or a pass system. So they come and they're like, oh, how do I get in? Well, the museum did something really cool this year and they came up with a dine and shop pass. 
So we have a lot of office buildings and different government agencies around us, and they want to just come in for lunch. So they can go use a QR code, come in, and come and just dine with us. Smart. So it's great, and it's really helped out a lot of people who we want to serve. You know, they're like, we like to eat here a lot, but we can't get in all the time. So Mm -hmm. that's been a huge thing. So each week of this month, we're going to have a different chef. So yesterday was the beginning of Black History Month. We had the privilege of having Chris Scott come down from New York. He has a wonderful book called Homage that he uh, put out, and we created the food from that menu and served it. Did wonderful. Next week, it's me. And so please come in. Please feel free to come in. We'd love to see you. The week after that, we have another chef, uh, Jeff Cortez, and rounding us out is another chef, uh, Tyreek Frazier. Um, So they're all going to come in and show you different twists on African-American cuisine. And how does that work for you? Like, is it just so much fun that you get to play in the kitchen with all these different people? It's pretty great because one thing, like I said, we're not a monolith. Mm -hmm. So the way you make something is not the way I make it. So it's nice to see how other people play in the sandbox, as you say. So a lot of times... um, it's cool because we work so much. You don't get to go everywhere. You don't get to see everybody. Mm-hmm. So to have them have a place to come and play and come hang out with us is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So we get to just build relationships and meet people, and we get to open our doors. And being a culture, we are a cultural center first right. and foremost. So how do we advance the culture? We invite people in. Mm-hmm. Is there literature for the you know for folks who just? I mean, I know this sounds really naive and stupid. Until mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, it never had occurred to me. That spare ribs mm-hmm. were spare ribs, oh. you know, and and you know, and and what that meant in African American culture and where they came from and all that. So, is there st- is there is there more than the dining experience? Is there any literature that sort of absolutely? Kind of a so, when, I didn't mean to cut you off, no, no. but when you come to our museum, I cut them off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> She'd like to. So, so when you come in, we we are very interactive. A, we have someone who's serving you, so you're dealing with another person, so they'll explain the food to you. Mm-hmm. Also, we have great signage that tells you what the food is. And if it's something that you haven't seen or something that you're not used to, we make we really go out of our way to make sure that you're able to understand what it is you're getting. Got it. So, you know, you can't sell it unless you advertise it properly. Right. And so, Kyrie, can we talk about more about what you're doing yeah. and what it looks like at the museum for you? Um, so, uh, as of right now... Uh, just a part of uh, my history. Um, I am definitely like rich in the New Orleans scene, mm-hmm. um, especially with my last name and the Creole. So I, every time I get a chance, I like to put something Creole, like have a Creole cuisine because it's it's a it's like a cousin of the French cuisine. Sure. So you have a lot of the things uh, like tying in together. So I like to showcase that a lot whenever I do get a chance. So I have a, a Creole red snapper. Corby Bouillon on my station. Right I just now. don't think people think when they're going to the museum that that's how they're yeah, eating. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so important to sort of hammer that message home because right. the last I mean, time I was at the museum. No, but you know, but the, also you've got all those like food trucks mm-hmm. that are just sort of yeah. lining the street yeah. and they're not the good food trucks. Yeah, no. Nothing against <laughs> no. food trucks, but like, because there are good ones, yeah. but they're not the good ones. You know what I mean? They're the cheap ones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think people should know that they can go down and have like a really solid meal without you know spending well, beyond their budgets do you know what i mean we do but you know we work for restaurant associates sure. and that's our parent company and we are very food forward mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the most important thing is that when you come to us we give you a good meal mm-hmm. so every time it's not just a meal it's also an experience mm-hmm. you know you don't think you would get that inside of a cafeteria setting or a cafe setting mm-hmm. we do our best to make sure that happens for our guests you know, um, we're really big on hospitality and service as well. Mm-hmm. So all these things kind of come together. And we, I always try to tell people as well, remember, the museum was free. So yeah. coming in at well, lunch. And, and I know we are so spoiled here. I mean, a, you know, a good chef is also a, an educator. Mm-hmm. So this is great. I mean, it's... it's yeah. like, but before we let you go, will you talk mm-hmm. about what's March, April, May? What's oh, man, there? it's on. So, <laughs> so right now we're in the, we are beginning Black History Month. Next month is Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. We also are going to do uh, East DC Independence Day. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, April seventeenth, mm-hmm. I believe, this year. And then after that, we have Cherry Blossom, which is massive. We right. always do a, a DC style station to give people kind of a feel for what like DC carryout was like, because um, everyone doesn't know that culture. 
So we highlight a lot of that food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, what's a half smoke? So we have to educate them on what sure. a half smoke is Mambo and show sauce. them what it is. It's Mambo it's sauce the whole night. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we um, do <laughs> So we do our best to make sure that we... Please don't laugh. Uh, not everything. It almost got over me. It almost went over my head, but I caught it at the end. It's like too soon? No, all right, so, so tell me where we can find all you guys, please. So we are at 1400 Constitution Avenue, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. We're inside the the lovely new building. It kind of looks like a breadbasket to me, but it's a very beautiful African-inspired uh, architecture. Uh, Kyrie's across the street. Mm-hmm. 1300 Constitution Avenue. Can we find you guys both on Insta? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm Chef Ramin Coles at Insta. Okay. And I, I am Kyrie Roshan. At, uh, Instagram. Okay, great. Thank you both for coming in today. Thank you so much I'd for having us. I'd love to have us. you both come back later. Oh, sure oh, please. That was great. Okay, Thank we're drinking guys. bathtub gin. All right, sweet. It's delicious. Although it does look like he's drinking rosé right now. <laughs> so can I ask a question, uh, Marlo? When you're putting these cocktails together, if I come in, like what's, how much of it is it batched beforehand? Like how much tweezers are being used? Like tell us how it works. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've got a full cocktail menu and a full tasting menu, uh, partly Montgomery County and partly the vibe that we're mm-hmm. creating. Nothing is batched. Mm-hmm. So everything is built by hand. That said, we don't sell you a spirit based on or a, a beverage based on what's popular or what's been selling a lot lately. Mm-hmm. We sell it based on what you drink. So even if you don't know what you drink, we'll find out what you drink. Okay. And that's a conversation. Right. And then we can find out the profile for your beverage and see maybe what's best for you and then walk you down a path because you don't want to start smoky, but maybe you want to finish smoky. Mm-hmm. And so while we do have a full beverage menu for you, we're a full service bar. If we have the ingredients, we're happy to build it for you. Did okay. you, I was reading other things. Did you mention that this glass, is, I mean, it's a bathtub? Yes, we did. So I just Can remember, we talk about I remember your... drinking Absolutely. the water in the bathtub when I was four. This is much better. Okay. I, Can we so... talk about your glassware a little bit? Because it's very Special, like my concern when I see this bathtub is how many are going to be snuck into somebody's, yeah, gonna be somebody's purse. Like, somebody's going to be stealing that. Oh, they've tried already. Okay, uh, of course now, they have. No, no, they asked nicely, you know. So, um, no, these are these are bathtub porcelain glassware. Uh, they are available from a you know a few different vendors. If you search hard enough on the internet, you can find anything. Um, we decided to have a little fun with a simple drink. Mm-hmm. Great. Gin and tonics are simple, and everybody orders them, and everybody loves them or hates them, but. We needed to present a gin and tonic, and we wanted to have a little bit of fun that with it. That is very cool. Very cool. Yeah, All right. Really cool. What are we doing next? Absolutely. So we're going to do a uh, savory seafood martini next. Ooh. Oh, my God. Somebody, like, breathed in deep. Sounds fishy to me, Marlo. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So now I'm very we're going to take you across the world. Wait. Before you introduce her. So, okay. I have been hearing about this Vietnamese restaurant over in Virginia called New for quite some time. Oh. And I just haven't like been able to get over there. And then I got some information from them. And I was like, oh my God, I have to call them because I've been like really wanting to get over there. And I just haven't been able to do it. And then Twitney and I got to talk on the phone and I talked with Agatha and I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be so great. So I'm so excited you guys are coming in. And Thank if you. you, but you have this very interesting background because you were like a Washington Redskins Cheerleader You're or not the ambassador first former Washington with Masoka, Masoka, uh, Masaka. Yeah. I'm sorry, Masaka, was one yeah. too. She she was um, captain on the team when I was on the training program. Oh my god, so, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and 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 you know what? My ad agency was their agency, so we're all oh, somehow yes. related in this weird thing but now you're a restaurateur yeah all right so let's just talk about it. you've got new elegantly vietnamese and mm-hmm. chasing tales both in the same shopping center in falls church right yes let's start with exactly where so people know yes it's in falls church it's a new shopping center called founders row so falls church city um it's a two mile radius city right. very small and um it's their first big development in the city so we're really excited to be Kind of like the the first anchor to um, open the shopping center because we just opened last May and wow. the shopping center was just finishing up the construction last May. So, it's very all right, well, let's take it from the top. Let's talk a little about your background. Yes, we just talked about cheerleading, but, <laughs> but all of this, how you came to to open up your own restaurant. restaurant. Yeah, because you started at like twenty two. Ooh, yes. Okay, so fun story. Um, mm-hmm. um, my partner and I, he's actually an ex poker player. Mm-hmm. So he went to TJ, went to UVA, super intelligent mathematician, um, made uh, top five in the world at the time in online poker. So he played cash games. 
So he had a lot of money saved up. I wish um, he was my boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was 22. I was still in school, and he was 27. And he wanted to uh, use his winnings to invest into something that was more meaningful. And he has actually has roots in Louisiana. So his family went to LSU. Somebody um, behind you was like, uh-huh. I hear you. Yeah, so that's how. Let's see, do I buy a Lamborghini or a <laughs> How do I lose my money fast? <laughs> yes, yes. It was another gamble that he invested in. And uh, we opened up the first restaurant. It was um, Chasing Tails Crawfish, and it's in Arlington, mm-hmm. even though across the street is Falls Church. So people are always confused. Are you Arlington or are you Falls Church? Right. But we're officially, we moved down um, the street now. We closed our first location. It's been mm-hmm. 10 years. Uh, it was nice there, but... We knew that we needed a change mm-hmm. because uh, ever since the pandemic, uh, we felt that the market has changed, com- uh, behaviors, how people um, approach food and experiences has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were very lucky that we were given the opportunity to kind of restart the growth. And our- so how are we executing that at noon now? Like you brought in this gorgeous fish today. Like how are you as a non-chef, yes. right? How are you getting your team to execute the kind of cuisine you're looking for? I have to say, most fish, when they're cooked whole, don't look happy. That looks like a fish that enjoyed the experience. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I don't have a chef background, but part of being in the restaurant business as an owner, you have to learn every single position. Mm. So I do front of house, back of house. I have to jump in the line, cook if I need to. I have to do front of house management, everything, Mm -hmm. even bartend if I have to. And so part of the um, creative process when we're talking about food is not just the technique, mm-hmm. but is the visual, is the aesthetics, is how you look, um, how it feels. And so this dish is inspired from my childhood. Um, so going back to Chasing Tales, we opened up our first restaurant. Ten years later, we were given an opportunity to um, go into Founders Row and be one of the first restaurants to open. And um, we thought how meaningful it would be to now open up a restaurant that truly reflects our Vietnamese-American identity because we grew up in the area. Mm-hmm. And so this has always been a dream of ours, but we thought we were going to do it when we're older. Right. And so um, my family came from a, a history of like um, artists. So the restaurant is actually named after a, um, a painting that my great-great-granduncle painted. Oh, okay. And so just, hold on. I got to hold you. We got to take a break. Yes, okay. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We've got some celebrations coming up. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Footing the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Twitney Lee, who has two restaurants out of Falls Church, New Elegantly Vietnamese and Chase and Tails, which has been around for about a decade. But you were talking about the sort of the, well, the, the impetus for the naming of New, but also what was going to drive the sort of the cuisine profile. Yes, there. yeah. Um, so the inspiration came from a family of artists, and I always wanted to celebrate their life because as an artist, you really don't become a somebody until after you've passed. And people look back That's in the past. That's what I'm waiting for, by the way. <laughs> and they realize all Me the work too. that he's done. Yes. And so just kind of channeling the creative side in us, we wanted to create a modern Vietnamese experience. Mm-hmm. And what that means is retelling the story of something that's very traditional and how it translates in, into the modern world. Okay. So I've had this dish growing up in Vietnam, and I remember it from memory that it was an elephant ear fish. And it comes from it's a very ancient style of like um fluffing the scale and, and deep frying it. Mm. And so I asked the chef, I'm like, Chef, can we make this dish for our Year of the Dragon um, feature because it reminds me of a dragon? Yes, it looks like a dragon. Yeah, and I was born in 1988, so I'm a dragon myself. Oh. And so he was like, what are you talking about? I've never had this dish. And so we did some research. And um, so it's a combination of, like, the ideation of the idea mm-hmm. and the experience. And then he goes into, like, okay, based on what we're doing, the theme, this is what? I have in mind. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about because you brought in cocktails, mm-hmm. you brought in food. Let's talk about all the celebrations you have coming on because you are you're not being. And we'll bring Eduardo into it too because uh, yeah. she brought along. This her is like bar some serious manager. activation. Eduardo Laris is here too. Yes. Yeah. So year of the dragon. Um, so in the Chinese zodiac is the most powerful and uh, most um, unique uh, animal, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, since this is Year of the Dragon, we wanted to do a really big celebration. Mm-hmm. So we have three things that are going on. So for the month of um, February, you can come in and enjoy our Elemental Dragon cocktails. We have five on the menu, Okay. Um, each representing the dragon spirit um, 
fire, metal, wood, water, earth. And Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, and you can enjoy our Dragon Snapper. Um, but we're also throwing a really big uh, Lunar New Year party next Thursday. Um, in our culture, we actually celebrate for two weeks where everything shuts down. No one does anything except for eat, drink, and party. <laughs> and so we're doing something like that in the neighborhood where we're having an entertainment program. We have dra- uh, dragon dances, Al uh, Yai fashion show, um, like a fire um, uh, celebration dance, and um, a very unique uh, spread and menu of what Lunar New Year is to us. Can we it's- go back to the fashion show? Yes. <laughs> what does that mean? What's it going to look like? Um, so we're flying in a Vietnamese fashion designer from Vietnam, and he's known to create beautiful ao yai, which just means um, a long dress in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always wanted to showcase um, the beautiful um, pieces that we get to wear every holiday. So he's going to bring um, two collections. So we're going to do two uh, part one and part two fashion show to sh- to let people see, like, what the beautiful traditional wear is. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. And that. on top of that, you got to do some gambling. So we have um, a whole well, month. clearly, <laughs> you guys are your boyfriend. Your I your see what's happening here. Yes, yes, yes. It was yeah. so funny because we were like, hey, we got to come up with this gambling game. And being, you know, the poker player, mathematician, he had to do some calculation and calculate the probability of um, how many... Uh, winners that we're going to have. So we have this fun 24000 giveaway for the entire month. And uh, it's called Animal Dice Game. And based on um, the animal mascot that you roll in your dice, it determines your different tiers of prizes. Last night, someone rolled three animal faces, which means she won $2,400 oh in gift God, cards. Oh, my God. I'm coming every yeah. day. <laughs> we were like, oh, wait. This is like day two. Are we going <laughs> to go out of business? <laughs> So that's so much. Yeah. You know fun. what? I, this is probably I'm going to get Snickers, but the the world is nuts mm-hmm. in lots of ways. The fact that now America and Americans mm-hmm. and Vietnam and the Vietnamese have such a close and copacetic relationship mm-hmm. after all the nuttiness of my my 20s mm-hmm. uh, is a miracle. And it's great. And it's it should be a I mean, it sounds a little saccharine, but it should be an example to the rest of the world how. We can all get along. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's great. It's yeah. awesome. Can we hear about these cocktails? Because, yes, um, they're beautiful. Eduardo, what do you have there? All right, <clears throat> over here we have the Fire Dragon, mm-hmm. which is my favorite so far. Uh, well, it's based on mezcal, which is brings uh, some smokiness to the drink. Mm-hmm. I we know, have. I know they drink a lot of mezcal in Vietnam. Yeah. All right, <laughs> <laughs> we have some tequila. Um, we spiciness a little bit. With Fresno peppers, Ooh, so but you right. still have the sweetness from the pomegranate um, prickle pear mm-hmm. in it. Uh, you have some maple orange that we make uh, we making home, which brings everything together. To be honest, you have mm-hmm. like a little spiciness, a little smokiness, but it's still a little sweetness there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a show at the table. Yeah. Well, what, I, well, I was going to say, we I mean, light it up, but we can't do it here. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but what's really fascinating is all the cocktails that have been in studio today. They're all really ornate, right? So is what made you guys decide in your cocktail program to go super ornate? Ooh, because it's Lunar New Year and it's Year of the Dragon, so you have to be extra. And it's all about the not just the taste, but the showmanship of Mm -hmm. it as well too. Excellent. So exciting. All right. Okay. Let's make sure everybody knows where the where the the restaurants are and where you are online and on Instagram and all of that. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can follow us at New Vietnamese on Instagram or newvietnamese.com. It's N U E. Yes, NUE, and at, we're located in Founders Row in Falls Church, Virginia. I can't wait to come out. And all these celebrations that you just heard about, you can find on the list, areyouonit.com. Um, okay, let's get back. I can't believe well, anybody is still standing, given all the booze that I is in the studio to, right now. I want to talk to Marlo, Dan okay. Marlo, a little bit about his background, because he was with David Deshays. Uh, you were the lead bar at Lardente, and you worked with Michael Wilder and those guys who we know very well. Micah's... I was just at Ari's new place yesterday. 15 years ago. So Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little about your background and sort of how you got to where you are. Yeah. Uh, I suppose like probably most people in this room, we've been in the hospitality industry most of our lives. Uh, There's always exceptions to that rule. I have as a customer. There you go. Yeah. And see, exactly, everyone in the room. Um, At a certain point in our lives, we maybe find a niche or something that we have a little more passion or enthusiasm for. And 
Um, the spirits and the uh, process of spirits manufacturing specifically is what really wrote me in. And so that's where I get really dorky and when I can get those moments to engage with my guests and we can talk about how Kettle One is made from, you know, wheat instead of uh, Belvedere being made from rye and Tito's is from corn and they're all vodkas, but they're not the same. And, and we can get you really have that. the hospitality chip. It's so <laughs> like it's so like you so love it. And it comes across like your passion really I, comes across. I didn't say I love my guests. I said I love the spirits. No, you, I do love your job. I know you don't love your. <laughs> That's what I say. I don't love the price, but I love the. the okay, drink. tell us quickly what's going on with this drink because we have to wrap up. No, absolutely. So this one is a uh, little little groundbreaking. Uh, blue cheese olive or blue cheese martinis were huge a couple years ago. Everybody was going to do the savory thing with cheese, and I'm all for cheese, uh, but I'm a bit of a seafood nut. So this is actually blue crab sous vide dry French vermouth. Wow. With an American dry gin mm. and a little bit of uh, furry cocky seasoning on the rim. Which I told you, that sounds like it should be like in a porno or something. Exactly. I don't know what that is. Okay. Wait, well, is that what you're watching on YouTube? <laughs> furry cocky, yes. So, this one was not traditional to Prohibition. This was just my mad scientist. Well, it's great. All right, cool. tell everybody where we can find you and where we can find you online. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can find the Heights Food Hall and the Turncoat Speakeasy at 5406 Wisconsin Avenue. Mm -hmm. We also have the Grove over at 7747 Tuckerman Lane in Kevin John Village Center. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can probably find me there 5 to 12 for the next few weeks until I get all my staff trained up. Great. Thank you cool. so much. All right, you want to wrap it up, and I will do my thing. Yeah, um, this is me at the end of every show. Um, in the theme of uh, getting along, uh, the conflict in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East is making a lot of misery for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you send a buck. Send a buck to the Red Cross for the the um, <laughs> folks in Ukraine who have been the, all the upheaval. You've got millions of people who've had to leave their homes or living in misery. Same thing for the Palestinians and the Israelis. Give the Red Cross, give to the Red Crescent, do something nice for everybody, and maybe in the end we'll all get along okay. like we do in other places. Okay. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our guests for coming in studio today. In case you're missing it, there is so much happening in the D.C. metro area. Amazing celebrations, delicious food, incredible drinks. And it's all in the list, areyouonit.com, everything you heard here today. Of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the social media platforms. And don't forget, Industry Night is also on your favorite podcast platforms, but you can also see us on YouTube. Thanks so much for joining us today. Everybody have a delicious week.